From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President Sophia Thomas. And this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and to our patients. As American Heart Month comes to a close, I'm pleased to welcome two guests to NP Pulse today who have an interesting perspective on heart health, the intersection of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Living with type 2 diabetes puts our patients at a higher risk for heart disease and stroke, but many of them don't always connect those dots, instead being more concerned with the more commonly known risks and complications of diabetes. Today, we welcome two incredible nurse practitioners to NP Pulse, AANP board member and all-around amazing clinician, Doreen Casarino, and founding member of the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association and a representative of Know Your Diabetes by Heart, Cindy Lamandola. Welcome to NP Pulse. Before we get started, I want to have my guests uh, introduce themselves. Uh, Doreen. Hi, I'm Doreen Casarino. I'm a family nurse practitioner, and I'm uh, also board certified in advanced diabetes management. I'm in an internal medicine primary care practice here in Naples, Florida, and I also specialize in diabetes as far as helping other providers help their patients manage their diabetes. I've been a nurse practitioner for over 20 years, and I'm um, also on the AANP board of directors as the Region 11 uh, director. So thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to to our show today. Uh, I think we're going to have a great conversation. And Cindy. Hi, I'm Cindy Lamandola, and I am a nurse practitioner also for over 20 years. Um, my main uh, field has been cardiovascular disease within the hospital and in cardiac rehab and in uh, also cardiac cl- uh, cardiology clinic. And I also do research that involves uh, type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease risk factors. Um, I am a founding member of the uh, Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association and a fellow and a fellow of the American Heart Association. And I've also worked with No Diabetes by Heart um, and a member of of the American Diabetes Association. And I also am very happy to be here um, and have worked closely with uh, patients with type 2 diabetes also in a clinical practice uh, several years ago. Well, that's great. Well, we have two very, very qualified guests. I'm so excited to get into all of this with you both. First of all, Cindy, I want you to tell us more about the Know Your Diabetes by Heart Alliance. It sounds like just a great organization. It is, and it it came about from basically uh, an awareness that uh, obviously uh, diabetes and heart disease have, and cardiovascular disease have a relationship. 
And there was actually a survey done on people that were over 45 years of age that had uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, asking them about their awareness of a relationship between cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And basically, a lot of over about 40% of the people did not know, or they did not inquire about it. Um, and then lo and behold, we also find out that uh, a lot of practitioners don't talk to their patients about it. So if they're coming in for one thing, they really don't engage them about, you know, you're at high risk. So this alliance came about with uh, the American Diabetes Association and um, the American Heart Association and No Diabetes by Heart. And uh, the goal really is to inform everyone uh, people with type 2 diabetes and professional health care providers about the relationship uh, the, with heart disease and uh, type 2 diabetes. So uh, it's, it's a wonderful program. It's got educational materials for um, patients, educational materials for health care providers, these uh, things like podcasts, webinars, printed materials, and I know there's going to be a link so that you'll be able to go on. And I really recommend that you go on and on the website and look at all the materials that are available. Um, you will really learn a lot about this whole subject that we're going to talk about today. That's great. And we're going to provide more information in the show notes uh, as well. So that information will be provided. No, So first of all, um, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't just briefly discuss, you know, we're still in the middle of COVID. I'd be remiss if we didn't briefly discuss really how COVID is impacting patients with diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And, and a lot has gone on this year, Doreen. Is that right? Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, we know that patients with diabetes, people with diabetes, they have a high risk of developing severe illness and death from COVID-19 infection, especially if their diabetes and their uh, cardiovascular uh, risk factors are not under good control. So unfortunately, what we were seeing with COVID, especially initially in the beginning of the whole pandemic, is patients were delaying coming in for their routine follow-ups, their uh, lab checks, and their um, medication follow-ups with their providers. That seems to have gotten somewhat better, at least that's what I notice in my practice, that patients have been coming in, actually they're, they're coming in in waves and droves now, and uh, it's been very busy in our practice. But the uh, telehealth helped out quite a bit, as in the, especially in the beginning when patients definitely did not want to come in. They were so afraid about exposures to potential exposure to COVID. And, uh, but I do see that that is getting better. And thankfully, you know, we want our patients to be encouraged to come in to do those routine follow-ups so that we can help them with their diabetes, get it, keep it or get it under good control so that they don't have a, a worse outcome with um, any COVID infection. Exactly. Well, I mean, so many people with uh, diabetes, they have the cardiovascular disease and they have obesity as well, which is another risk factor for complications. So, you know, they're living in fear, rightly so. Um, Cindy, did you want to add anything to that? I was uh, grateful that Doreen has people coming in um, to, to be seen in person, because I know that even though I would agree, the video visits have been a lifesaver for staying connected to our patients. 
um, there is a lot of um, disparities for people that, you know, they don't, they can't make the link. And so then it's a telephone call or it's dropped out. And so it's good that we can offer both to uh, to all of our patients so that, again, as Doreen uh, stated, we can get them back in to be seen um, so that they can get under better control. Absolutely. And so let's let's start talking about diabetes and cardiovascular disease. You know, um, for years, I've been a nurse practitioner for 25 years, and so much has evolved with diabetes care, the medications, the treatment. And we really do now understand more of the link with cardiovascular disease, as well as the risk for complications um, with diabetes as it relates to cardiovascular disease. Um, Cindy, t- talk to us a bit more about that. Well, the interesting thing is it's true that we do understand more, but on the other hand, um, a lot of people still don't make the connection. And I think one of the things um, that I've learned uh, is that a lot of patients have fears about diabetes, and their fear is not related to heart disease or stroke, but it's more related to the um, uh, microvascular diseases, such as going blind or having an amputation. And that's what drives them, um, which, of course, we want to, we appreciate, we have concern for that. But indeed, the highest risk for both mortality and morbidity is for uh, that these people with type 2 diabetes are twice the risk uh, for getting cardiovascular disease or having an event than people uh, without diabetes. So we definitely want to strive to inform our patients that, yes, we uh, understand your concerns, and we want to help you get your blood sugars under control. But we also need to get your cardiovascular risk factors under control because that's where your greatest risk is going to be. And absolutely, and isn't there also a relationship, um, uh, Doreen, with uh, CHF as well? Absolutely, there is. There is a uh, increased risk of heart failure, which is another one of the major causes of morbidity or mortality. Patients with diabetes uh, do, unfortunately, have um, an increased risk of heart failure. And um, it's actually a twofold higher risk with patients with diabetes as compared to patients without diabetes. So yes, they are. And fortunately, we have some uh, new therapies and things available now that we can help our patients with, with that. Yeah, and we'll get into that. But is is it true that there's a higher risk of heart failure despite what the A1C is? That's my that's my experience yes. and my uh, um, as far as the literature go. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes, because I would say that we're, that that's also related to these risk factors, right? Uh, particularly hypertension, um, salt intake, and um, obesity and other things that will increase their risk for uh, heart failure or um, uh, left ventricular hypertrophy, which can put them into heart failure. So yes, it's it, it, they really have a lot of cardiovascular concerns um, and we want to keep them healthy so they don't they don't go into the heart failure or heart attack or stroke. So that's that's great. That's great information. And it's so important. Again, you know, for me, having been practicing for a long so long, watching these um, the knowledge and the science advance and and the things that we know now, um, it's just amazing the kind of care that we can provide to our patients. Um, So let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges. Um, You know, we have 
uh, uh, a triangle, if you will, of diabetes, is it or with diabetes, if you will, related to heart disease, kidney disease, as well as the diabetes. And, you know, we have to worry about things like their blood pressure and blood pressure guidelines. Um, Cindy, can you kind of give us a little breakdown on, on things like blood pressure as it relates to diabetes? Uh, uh, yes. And I think the one thing I'd like to say um, is that's important for us to also, as we're looking at guidelines, or I'm sorry, as we're looking at control of patients' blood pressures, and we want to practice according to the guidelines. So there are the American Heart Association and the American uh, College of Cardiology guidelines, and there's also the American Diabetes Association guidelines. So we want to be familiar with both of them, although albeit they're pretty close in terms of their goals. We want to know their goals. We want to understand um, what are the best treatments. And I would be remiss to not say that lifestyle is the corner uh, stone of treatments for all risk factors. But we have to do that in um, addition to, we have to also add medications in. Um, so for people uh, with who are hypertensive, um, we're in general looking for a goal of a, a less than 130 over 80, if they can tolerate that. And then for some people, less than 140 over 90, depending on the individual and their comorbidities and their risks. Um, Again, exercise is really important. Um, weight management is important. Losing weight if they need to, and and decreasing salt intake. Um, and I think sometimes when you're talking to patients, it's overwhelming, right? If I'm just sitting here thinking about all that, and we're just talking about blood pressure, well, it becomes overwhelming. And then people start talking to you about all the foods they like to eat. Like, well, I really like. Chinese food, and I really like yeah, uh, pasta, everything bad, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I'm like, I like pasta too. What am I going to do? <laughs> so uh, we try to. The best I think is to try to work with the the patients. I I never tell people they can't have, and you know, I never say, well, maybe salt, but <laughs> I don't say they can't have have anything. I just say, let's try to work with uh, the dietitian and with us together to. Um, get things under under better control. Absolutely. And lifestyle changes and lifestyle modifications go without saying in any chronic health disorder. I mean, the first thing is is making healthier choices. And um, so diet, exercise, activity are going to be cornerstones of any of our, our therapies that we do for, for any, any chronic health disorder. So whether it's hypertension, um, heart failure, diabetes, kidney disease, those are going to be some standard things that we do. Um, so what are, let me, going back to blood pressure, what are the current uh, recommendations for um, antihypertensive medications uh, for first-line therapy? So um, I think that's changed a little bit in terms of, I, I think a lot of people used to put people on um, beta blockers thinking that that would be a first-line uh, medication, but those are no longer first-line medications. Uh, generally, we are looking at an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. Uh, in particular, if they have proteinuria, we definitely then they definitely have to be on one of those drugs. Um, and if they need an addition, then you can add um, a, um, a calcium channel blocker such as amlodipine, or you can add a diuretic. So those would be the the first steps, the first and second steps you would take to. Um, uh, 
help to lower their blood pressure. Um, and so it's 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 nice nicely outlined in the guidelines. It's kind of a, a stepwise uh, go to this drug or that drug and then move down. Um, the drugs, the calcium channel blockers such as uh, amlodipine, are can be more effective in in the uh, black or African American population than the ACE inhibitors, but or ARBs. But you um, may not have a choice if the person has proteinuria. You're still you'll probably go to those drugs first. Does that um, that give you an idea of how we would start? Absolutely. I think that's great information to share with um, everybody. And then also we have to consider, um, you know, the the cost of drugs. And I mean, Doreen, some of these new medications uh, are pretty expensive, right? Absolutely. That cost is always a, a big factor that I have to take into consideration whenever recommending a certain uh, agent, a certain medication. But thankfully, the the ACEs are all generic and um, very inexpensive uh, for most people, as well as the amlodipine. In fact, at where I live in the state of Florida, there's a supermarket chain that has pharmacy and amlodipine and uh, lisinopril are both free. Really? Um, they, they could, That's with great. a prescription. Yes. Is that so Publix? That, that, uh, yes. Yep. I love Publix. Okay. They're doing uh, vaccines, too, for our, our, our folks, COVID-19 vaccines. So, um, But yes, that, that's, uh, they offer that. And that's been a huge um, reduction in barriers for, for patients, especially those that are financially challenged or don't have any insurance. Um, that's a, and they also have metformin that is also uh, free. Oh, that's great. great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's good. So, yeah. um, but some of the SGL, well, I shouldn't say some, the SGLT2 inhibitors, which are one of the newer kids on the block for a diabetes management and uh, reducing blood sugar, they also help to reduce blood pressure. So right. I think of that too, um, if I only may need a little bit of a reduction, uh, they're on their ACE or ARB and they need a little blood pressure reduction and their blood sugars or may not be uh, too, too um, quite at goal, that might be a, a good option to add that on and, and monitor their blood pressures. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, Doreen. It's not, it's because they came out later, they're not in the guidelines, but I think when they update the guidelines, that also will be added in. As far as blood pressure, they're in the, the yes. glycemic control ones, but not hypertension. Yes, yeah. And so that's having an impact on, on CHF. And so for some patients, are, are they using those SGLT2s um, regardless of the A1C? Yes. My understanding is that the new guidelines that came out from the um, um, American College of Cardiology have them in there. In fact, I had a um, one of the SGLT2 inhibitor um, sales agents were in today or yesterday, and um, she was telling me that a lot of cardiologists are now writing it in patients um for SGLT2 inhibitors for patients that without diabetes that have CHF. So I found that I find that interesting. That sounds very promising as far as as treatment goes. Well, yeah, I think what your point um, is, is one that a lot of people probably don't know both of your points, but the American Diabetes Association has now said, regardless of what the A1C is, if a person uh, is appropriate for an SGLT2 or We'll talk a little bit more about the other drug, the um, GLP-1 receptor agonist. 
they can be put on those medications because they're being put on them for, uh, if you're putting them on for cardiovascular reasons, then it's regardless of what the A1C is, you might need to make some adjustments. But um, these are blockbuster medications. And as Doreen said, not the cardiologist, uh, there really is a big push for cardiology to get their patients who are at risk for heart failure um, or heart heart attacks to get them on these drugs. So you're right, they're prescribing them. Nephrologists are prescribing them. So it's it's great because, you know, one department can't take care of all these people, right? So we all have to be doing it as a team. Exactly. And so to find a drug that could actually have multiple benefits uh, to treat the same patient rather than using different medications, um, that's promising. But um, you know, we do have to factor in um, other other factors, and you did mention the cost, Doreen. Yes, they can be very costly, um, but if they they parent, most of them are being covered fairly well, from my experience on a lot of the Medicare plans, and as well as the commercial insurances. Uh, also, they're being covered very well, but they all the companies all have uh, discounts for commercial insurance, which helps a lot. I've also had patients where I've helped them with patient assistance paperwork as well. So a lot of the, the all the companies have financial assistant for, assistance for patients that, that aren't, um, don't have insurance or they're ju- they just are uh, in a financially strapped. So there, there is some assistance in that regard. The other thing about the SGLT2 inhibitors that we, we didn't mention, talking about different risk is um, they, there is a weight loss side effect as well. So they help in many ways. They help with the uh, re- renal disease, cardiovascular disease. They help uh, lower their blood sugars as well at, and blood pressure as well as uh, weight loss too. Which is a nice side effect to have or a nice impact Absolutely. to have as well. Um, hey, most people like that. <laughs> I'd like that. Um <laughs> So that that's great. And and so as far as these medications, I think, you know, another thing that we need to look at um, with these diabetics with the risk of cardiovascular disease is their lipid panel. And um, because a lot of these patients are having um, abnormal lipid panels, um, what are the guidelines telling us about um, managing cholesterol and, and uh, the other lipids? Um, I can take that to start, and then Doreen, you can jump in because we can talk about people who don't want to take statins. Um, so basically, when you're about when you're forty uh, or older, um, they're recommending um, at least a moderate dose of a statin first. Um, so we know that typically the the lipid um, disorder that people with type two diabetes have is many times um, high triglycerides and low HDL cholesterol. Um, but in, as long as there are triglycerides, they can also in a, in conjunction have high uh, cholesterol too. But as long as their triglycerides aren't over 500, um, we would always start with a statin. That's where all the evidence is um, and uh, to lower their risk for cardiovascular disease. So, and then, um, then you would titrate up depending on their risk factors. And I know there's, uh, because a lot of studies weren't done in patients older than 75, there was some uh, concern about whether we should keep people on those drugs, but I think the consensus is pretty much that we would keep them on um, those, the statin. Um, and we, we have two of the more, more potent statins, atorvastatin and um, 
resuvastatin that are generally recommended to use, but sometimes patients uh, can't tolerate them, so we try the other statins. And then I know sometimes patients are are skeptical about uh, taking a statin. So um, there are tricks of the trade for that. I know Doreen had a story that she was going to tell about some of her patients, what she does if they uh, really are concerned about taking a statin. Um, Because these drugs are probably, they're as important, of course, as the blood pressure medications, and they're as important as their uh, uh, medications for controlling their blood sugar. And so what are, let me, I'll get to you in a second, Doreen, but I want to ask the question and maybe Doreen, you can answer this. What are, what are the, uh, what's the apprehension from the patients uh, not wanting to take a statin? What are you hearing? I, I, I hear several things. Um, they, and they read things on the internet and their friends or their family tell them their horror stories with their, uh, their use of a statin. But so many patients think that They've read that statins are bad for your memory. Well, that's been mm-hmm. unfounded. They also have read that the statins will raise my blood sugars. And you don't really see that clinically. If it raises a little, it's really not a clinically significant increase. So they, they hear all the, those um, negative things and also the, that every, the pain, the muscle, muscle pain, that everybody gets muscle pain. Those are the big things that I, I hear in my practice with my patients as far as their concerns about taking a statin drug. Okay. And um, you were going to tell us a story. Cindy had teased that you were going to tell us a little story. (laughs) So um, many patients, as we've already talked about, they just don't realize and, and, and the risks that they have to develop cardiovascular disease. So there's a a little trick that I, I try to, engage my patients with, and that's um, having them to go and get a coronary calcium score, which is a CAT scan that looks at the coronary circulation and the large vessels in the, uh, around the heart and um, can give us a patient-specific score, which estimates their um, scale on a scale from zero to over well over 100. I've seen, uh, actually saw one patient this week, his score was 1,800 and something. Um, but it gives them a risk the, of developing uh, or the, uh, having coronary artery disease. And the higher the score, the greater their risk is to have a heart attack. So this it's a non-invasive test. It's very quick. It only take, I've had one myself just to, because I you know wanted to know um, what it was like, you know. Practice what you no, preach. Right. There's no um, no contrast material, so it's totally non-invasive. And usually the cost is not that high that it is uh, cost prohibitive. So it isn't covered by insurance or by Medicare, but in my local community, they uh, it's $75 out of pocket, which for some people that is a lot, but for others, it's very doable. Um, but most of the time, if I have somebody, a patient who may have a financial challenge, they will actually save up a little bit of money and then go ahead and have it done. And sometimes in the month of February, which where's the uh, Heart Awareness Month, Heart Month, they the they will actually have a discounted price. So I'll I'll tell people, let's you know wait for let's do it in February. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it's been a very effective tool 
very eye-opening uh, tool when I have the I always have the patient come back in to review it, or I'll do a telehealth visit with them. We'll review it, answer all their questions, and um, look at all their risk factors, make sure their blood sugar is under control. But um, it is a w- good way to get a patient to take a statin drug. Yeah, it gives them a great visual of what their risk Absolutely. actually is. Absolutely, yeah. because, um, and this gentleman that I had um, in, it was this morning, so been a long day, but this morning he was very surprised. He was shocked that his score was so high. So he had all the risk factors. He was a uh, middle-aged man with uh, diabetes for many years, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, but all his risk factors were actually under pretty good control, um, except for the lipids. So mm-hmm. we had that conversation, and um, he was, wasn't taking a, a baby aspirin, so now he's going to start an 81-low-dose aspirin, as well as a statin drug. And then um, I always have them go ahead and you know get a... Uh, have a stress test and an echocardiogram to evaluate that. But um, he wasn't having any symptoms. So this is totally asymptomatic. Um, and so we'll see. I, 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 these coronary calcium scores, I've had them save patients' lives. And oh, I've, had, I've had patients and their wives and, or spouses uh, thank me for actually recommending it because they don't hear about this um, test that's available. Exactly. And, you know, that's a way to encourage people. They can give them a, a visual of, of seeing exactly what's going on in their body to let them know what their actual risk is to hopefully incentivize them to take their medication and maybe even some lifestyle changes. Um, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. So if you get the cal- uh, coronary calcium score and it's abnormal, um, will insurance then, um, are they more likely to, to pay for a, a stress test or things like that, having that abnormal uh, calcium score? Yes, yes. With a abnormal or elevated coronary calcium score, they're considered to have coronary artery disease. So use that diagnosis for the uh, further testing. That's great. So, and yep. so, so we talked about um, starting the statins for... Um, hyperlipidemia. And you mentioned, Cindy, the triglycerides, as long as it's not above 500, we would do the statin. What do you do First. when um, your triglycerides are above 500? So two things. Uh, if they're above 500, then um, I would um, start them either on um, a, a fish oil, or you can also start them on a phenofibrate. Um, and then really be aggressive about their diet. Um, but even if they're in the, the like 300s or above normal, we are still putting people on um, some fish oil. Um, uh, there, is, uh, 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 there is one out there, uh, icosapent ethyl, that actually has data. Um, the trade name for that is Vesepa. Um, that if you if you use it in people that have coronary disease, it actually helps to prevent um, of, uh, more events. So it's important, you know, triglycerides are kind of, as we've all been around for a while, I think we all realize that it's been up and down about, well, how important are they if they're not above 500? You know, we don't have to worry about pancreatitis issues. So maybe they're not that important. Yes, they are that important. Um, you know, there's been a battle back and forth. Um, I've lived with it for, um, 
in my research with um, uh, under a, a great uh, physician, Dr. Reven, who uh, we really believed in that um, having higher triglycerides was going to increase people's risk for heart disease. So there's data out there now, and so it's uh, very exciting that we are also working hard on lifestyle changes, exercise, you know, reducing simple carbohydrates that will help their blood sugar anyway, getting their blood sugar in normal, and then if it's elevated, to put them on um, uh, fish oil. So that's that's what I would do. And Doreen? Yeah, just have something to add, if I could, is um, I don't, what I find in my practice routinely is patients really don't see the connection between carbohydrates and triglycerides. They always are thinking it's going to be the um, traditional things that we might think that uh, as far as dietary changes that would impact their LDL, but that but they don't see an, the impact of triglycerides and, and blood sugar and carbohydrates. So I, I use that as a, 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 as a teaching time to try to help them. And it can be amazing if somebody really strictly uh, adheres to lowering their uh, simple carbohydrates, what can happen with their triglycerides. But uh, I find too with the prescription um, brand name, um, fish oil, a lot of times the insurance companies don't want, don't want to cover it or you have to do a prior authorization. So I've actually used their new indication for the rationale and have gotten it approved. So, and I think the coverage is getting better and better too. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. So on your, on your standard uh, patient with diabetic with hyperlipidemia, you're, you're doing the um, statin and then you're adding on um, one of those other medications for the triglycerides in addition to the lifestyle modifications and, and dietary modifications. Um, you know, I think with a lot of this, when we talk about diet, it's it's so hard, you know, in a 15-minute office visit, it's mm-hmm. really hard to get all this teaching done. And a lot of times we, um, in some practices, we have the benefit of having um, diabetic educators or uh, dietitians, but most practices don't. How do you, um, Doreen, how do you um, handle that? How do you deal with that? So with the, where I um, in my community and in most communities, there are uh, diabetes self-management education programs available. We actually have uh, that with the company that I that I uh, work in, and then our hospital system. They have an outpatient diabetes education program. So I would talk to the patient about, you know, it sounds like you need uh, that you may be having more questions that, that maybe uh, expert. Um, and diabetes, um, the dietary uh, measures could could help you with. So then they'll I'll give them a referral. But since COVID, they've been doing it all virtual. So some patients don't like that. They don't. They like to sit in front of the of the educator. So that's been a little bit of a barrier with COVID. Is that um, they don't they don't like the on the phone or virtual with the Zoom or the computer. So. But uh, typically, it's it's covered by Medicare, certain number of hours every year, and most of the commercial insurances will cover it too. And um, they can usually they can take a, a have a family member with them. So so if it's a a, a a male and the wife is doing all the food preparation and the food shopping, 
then she would be welcome to go and, and take the take part in the in the educational program. But but I find that a lot of the men actually do do the um, shopping and the cooking, too. So it's not just women doing it these days. And Cindy, Doreen made a good point. You know, it's so important to involve the family in the care of, of diabetes and, and heart disease uh, because you're right. I mean, uh, a, a lot of um, husbands do do the cooking, Doreen. Um, I know in my family, my husband does. But, you know, it's important for the entire family to be involved. Um, so everybody is eating the same thing. The the one person who has these health conditions isn't having to have a separate diet from the rest of the family. And it's just about eating healthier and, and everybody in it together. I'm, I'm sure, um, Cindy, you've probably found that people are much more successful when the entire family is involved um, in this. Absolutely. As, as we all know, it takes a village. And um, I think you made it a great point that, you know, we all have to be doing the same thing in our family. So we all have to say, yeah, well, you know, I need to lose a little weight and all of this would be good. I don't want to get high blood pressure. So uh, I don't want to have risk factors. So uh, for heart disease, so let's all get on it. Uh, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it doesn't work. Um but I think it's a very important goal for us to have and to include the family is very important or the, the spouses, who, especially who's doing the shopping and who's doing the cooking, it's really uh, uh, important. And I think also the other things that are overwhelming and we've already talked with, so we've talked about blood sugar medications and we've talked about uh, uh, medications for their lipids and medications for their um blood pressure uh, and glucose. So now we're talking about what, seven, nine, 11 medications. And that is really a lot for patients to afford and to keep track of and really to, you know, even be interested in taking. Um, so that's another thing I think we can uh, talk, discuss with our patients. Um, it may encourage them more with lifestyle because sometimes they may be able to get off a little of things if they're blood sugars are in better control or blood pressure. But there's a, a lot of ongoing issues for uh, these people with type 2 diabetes. And I think um, it sounds like Doreen does this too, and I do too, is really try to have, uh, listen to patients when they when they talk about, you know, how difficult it is to keep up with their medications and, and everything else that we kind of ask them to do, let alone in with uh, in demand and, uh, in their daily lives from other people. Well, yeah, and it's it's very very challenging. I'm sure just you know to ha just to have to deal with diabetes and the the glucose checks and things like that. But on top of that, the risk of heart disease, um, and then managing their lipids as well, and then uh, concerns about complications from from everything. And um, so you know, mm -hmm. diabetics don't just have to worry about um, losing their their vision or or losing their limbs, but you know, they they really do need to have more of a holistic approach to themselves and realize it is one body and one system does impact the other. So so that's why it's important to get some recognition of, of the cardiovascular disease. That's why I think the Know Your Diabetes by Heart Alliance is, is so important. And I'm so glad that we've had this discussion today and we'll be sharing more of the information um, in our show notes. So um before we go, though, I want to ask if you, either of you have, want to give us a couple of takeaways that, that we can uh, share with our listeners. 
Well, I, I just want to recognize that di diabetes is overwhelming. It's overwhelming to patients. It's overwhelming to their families and to the healthcare system. There's an increased cost to, um, for care for patients with diabetes. But it's also overwhelming to us as their providers because of everything that we uh, need to do for them. So I would like to just thank you all for uh, listening to this and for everything that you're doing for all your patients with diabetes or those even without. And, uh, and especially in this uh, time that we're in now with the pandemic, it's not been easy and uh, for anybody. And I just wanted to say thank you, everyone. That's so great. And Cindy, do you want to leave us with our final words? Well, I, I want us to remember about the importance of shared decision-making because I think when we do that with our patients, we empower them and they take ownership of uh, trying to take care of themselves and trying to get healthy. And I also uh, would be remiss without mentioning that many people would qualify for cardiac rehab programs. And I hope that if they have an event, um, we would be uh, remembering to refer them to cardiac rehab programs. But um, I think Doreen has summed it up that um, it is uh, an overwhelming, uh, I don't want to say it's an overwhelming disease, but there's a lot of different uh, uh, parts of taking care of oneself, plus the anxiety they may have, and particularly in today's COVID situation. So any support we can give them, telling them about the, the website so they can go on and, and read some of these wonderful materials that have been produced by No Diabetes by Heart. Um, I think will will help, and uh, it'll help reach our goal to bring awareness to these people about their risk for cardiovascular disease. Absolutely. Well, I thank you both for joining us today. It's been a great discussion, and uh, you've both provided so much information, and I know our listeners are going to be pleased, and we'll be checking out those resources. So thank you both for joining us today on NP Pulse. Thanks thank for you. having us. <laughs> I want to thank both of our guests today for this great discussion. And for everyone listening, be sure to check this episode's description for links to where you can learn more about Know Your Diabetes by Heart and access AANPCE courses about diabetes and heart disease. I urge you to become an active part of the NP movement by becoming an AANP member. Joining is more than just a membership. It's a real opportunity to make a measurable difference in the growth of the NP role in the lives of your patients. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new updates. And as always, be kind, be safe, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm.